Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there. The Rewatchingtons, bomb in its full Ooh. and unadulterated cut, early drops of Cinephobe episodes, and so much more. You said the OG pod. Now, is it new or is it old? Mace, I'm glad you asked that. It is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old OG pod. Oh. So it's me, Zach, Trey, Waz, Tom. I love those guys. Just like we always were. Going back to the True Hoop days, mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic, recapturing it, and putting it back out. We're talking hoops. We're talking pop culture. And most importantly, we're talking for 40 minutes for free. Mm-hmm. But then another specific Patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes. Funny enough about that OG pod, you're getting Tom and Trey on Mondays. You're getting me and Waz, aka Zosny, on Wednesdays. Amin's floating in between. I'm a floater. You never know when you're going to get Amin in those, so you got to listen to them all. And what if I'm not sure what Maze looks like? Because I've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora. He's got a weird voice. How can I see for myself what this Maze character actually looks like? It's crazy you don't know the answer to this. Hmm. because it's the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. What? The CT5s on the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. You can look at all of us. You can get all the OG pods on YouTube too at CountTheDings1 on YouTube, at Cinephobe Pod on YouTube, patreon.com slash CountTheDings gets you everything all in one feed. You can link it to your Spotify. And now enjoy the show. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. I'm Tom Haberstroh. And Tom, today is the day. We have one episode of season 15 of Top Chef Down. It is time to draft our fantasy teams. We have a lot to talk about with the show, the events that occurred in the show, the dishes, the contestants, the dynamics, everything. Uh, but we will, we will, all of that will reveal itself over the course of our fantasy draft. But first, we have to essentially what would be flip a coin to see who drafts first. Uh, my suggestion was that we do rock paper scissors over email, so that on the count of three, we each email each other our, our choice. And then we shall see what happens. This is this, this is very sophisticated. Version. Let's do this rock paper scissors shoot, um, and 
I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I'm thinking about what would Kevin pick for me? Like, what does Kevin think I'm going to throw? All right. We're going to, we're going to go on three. On the count of three, one, two, two, three, send. Okay. Sending. That was a Gmail delay. See, you went with paper. I went with scissors. All right. So you, you, you pick first and we're doing a snake draft, obviously. Oh, Yes. So, um, which means actually you get to pick. Do you want picks one or pick two and three? I will take – I'm going to take pick one. All right. And then you can take two and three. All right. Tom? You ready to do this? Yeah, I'm ready to do this. I'm so nervous. I've got my draft board up. Okay. All right. Let me um, – I don't know if we're going to do a time constraint because we want to talk about the contestants as we go through. So um, my first pick – I'll preface this by saying the analytics are very strong in the favor of Mr. Tyler Anderson. If you win the first elimination challenge, you are almost guaranteed to be in the top two. Tyler is my pick on number one, and here's why. I looked into the history of Top Chef, the grid on Wikipedia. Nine of the 12 that finished number one or number two, so the winner of Top Chef overall or the runner-up, nine of the 12 won the first elimination challenge that is a huge number so if you win the first elimination challenge you're almost guaranteed to get to the final that's crazy odds so with that in mind i'm going to take tyler who was obviously the connecticut pick for me um he's from simsbury connecticut the cook and the bear actually the nba preseason meeting for espn.com was at the cook and the bear and it was delicious so all the signs point to me taking tyler anderson with the first pick of the season 15 pack your knives draft. Okay. Yeah. I, I saw this one coming. Uh, he, you know, he, he's a really, he's an interesting contestant. Uh, he came out of the gate a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit frazzled, decided to bake chorizo, which, um, he never done before, you know, not necessarily the way to go and, and got a little shade from, uh, those with greater familiarity with chorizo, for his uh, for, for for his for his uh, decision to do so. Are you talking about side eye Claudette? Side eye Claudette, who's going to be kind of the Waldorf and Stadler of this season. You can tell she had a couple of good zingers. Yes, um, yes. She, so, but uh, but then comes Tyler. back strong. Um, yeah. I, I, li- I like self-deprecating bald guys approaching middle age as general characters. I, I, I think they provide a lot of soul to a production. So yes. I'm very happy about that. He was. Uh, he also had almost the the same. This isn't Top Scallop. This is Top Chef about uh, Tartar. Did you catch that one? You know, it's so funny. I did catch that one, and I I'd written a note just before he said that. That I think it speaks well to the American culinary scene that Tartar is now like raw meat is now considered a lazy, easy choice. <laughs> and I, that, know. I love steak tartare. I mean, you give me a steak tartare, a little horseradish cream, a couple of capers. You know, the, the rye toast. I'm a very happy man. And that used to be really exotic food. And yes. now it is truly, this is not top chef. This is not top tartare. It's top chef. That was that was a great zinger. And he did the whole, like, glasses thing. Like, it was his little punchline. He's like, yeah, you know, I decided to do this because, uh, you know, it's not tartare and a cracker. And then he grabbed his little, his, uh, his thick rim glasses and just looked at Tom. And they all were like, oh, nice zinger. And he was... He was the he was a um, he was doing zingers left and right. Uh, he he had our first I think the first baseball analogy where he's like I'm trying to hit home runs not singles and I applauded that big fan of that. I mean let, I want to talk about that for a second because it's one of the great I, I think even in any kind of elimination show when you have a large field of contestants I mean do you want to expose yourself to a mar- an unnecessary margin of error early in the show? When you damn well know, as long as you you don't even it's it's the old you don't have to outrun the bear you just have to outrun the other guy running the bear. I mean, and this is I wanted to ask you, Tom, just as a matter of game theory. How do we feel about that? How do we feel about really high risk maneuvers in the first seven or eight weeks when when a fatal error can cost you? But quality, like by definition, if you play average baseball the first seven or eight weeks, you're going to be fine. So, I mean, how do we feel about that as a general uh, early season strategy? Look, I like it on the first elimination challenge because, as he said, when he won um, 
for his dish with the cool potatoes. Uh, whoever thought that a cool potatoes would be a or interesting? There was potatoes a lot of technique that, in that stew, which I have, I have much respect for. Yeah, at the end he was like, you know, there's there's something about winning the first elimination challenge, and I'm very superstitious, so I'm happy about that. I think he went for the home run on the first dish because maybe he knew that it is so predictive. And in the spreadsheet that I sent you. I don't know if we want to get into this now, but there is no one in Top Chef history that won the whole thing that finished in the bottom three on the first elimination challenge. So maybe I don't think I don't think Tyler did the homework on that or did the the math on that. But analytically, you want to nail the first elimination challenge for whatever reason. The first impression bias is very strong. So going with the home run out the gate, I think, is a strong strategy for for Tyler. He nailed it, obviously. But I wonder if you might coast after that. You well, might no, want to coast. It, and it, it speaks to the, the 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 question I think we discussed in the pilot episode of our Pack the Knives podcast, which is, you, do you do you create an indelible impression with the judges now? Now going forward, because he came out of the box strong, he did something ballsy. He, he focused on the potatoes. They were very impressed. He throws a little shade uh, at his less ambitious competitors. Do Padma? And Tom, going forward, sort of have it in the back of their head that he receives the benefit of the doubt. He has established himself as a confident player. And therefore, and we talked a little bit about this, that all things being equal at the chopping block in, say, week seven or eight or nine, he's got wins under his belt, which buys him equity. The show creators and, and Padman Tom might never, ever admit it, because this is, again, one of the great debates. Do Should past performance inform a judge's decision? But if you agree that it does, and I, I would be curious to see what behavioral psychologists who like the show believe, if you believe they do, in fact, act on previous performance, it is of great, great interest to home run, not single the first episode. Yeah, totally. And I think um, we're going to throw out season nine because there were like six winners of the first elimination uh, in season nine. So I'm going to throw that out. But if you look at the uh, the other ones, there are 13 uh, finishes, 13 seasons, right, where there was, I think, one winner of the elimination challenge in the first one. Of those 13, how many do you think won the second elimination challenge? Given, given what we know about how you want to nail the first one, and then maybe my theory is to coast, how many won the following one? So right off the bat, started with a two-game win streak. All right, so 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 we're talking about wait, Elimination six out of challenge. 14, right? So uh, six out of 14 winners overall right. won their first elimination challenge. And right now— I'd say of those six, another half of them went on. So I'm going to reverse this. I think I think we're thinking about it a little bit differently. Just looking at the winners of the first elimination challenge. Right. Forget overall winner. Just looking at the first elimination challenge. Who won the first elimination challenge? We have 13 names here. Okay. 13 names won the first elimination challenge. That doesn't mean they won the whole thing. Just looking at the first elimination challenge. How many of those winners on the first elimination challenge repeated in the second elimination challenge? Started the whole thing off on a two-game win streak. Of those... 13 how many won i i would say five one one okay so think about that so you come out of the gates you win the first one and you're excited you're that's a good predictor for overall winning but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to win the second one which speaks to the idea that you want to come out with a grand slam on the first one and then maybe you coast or the judges don't really want to give you that second win you know the judges might be like, I don't want to give him two wins right off the bat. And not to be sentimental about it, um, but but I also think there is a confidence game. I mean, uh, not a con game so much as is. I, I think you have to. I, I get the sense that you really have to. It's a little bit like basketball. I mean, I think you have to believe you're the best player on the floor in order to perform. And, and that first one I do think huge, there is a psychological. Over, I mean, even if you look at the who was eliminated last night. We could have called that in the first five minutes. She was the most visibly oh. nervous contestant, Melissa, in the kitchen. And look, she might have also been the least skilled. And people like you and I would like to always believe that actually it is a question of skill and non-skill. But I think there, I, I do think that to a certain extent, you have to sort of show some swag in the kitchen early yep. on, establish yourself, 
as sort of a, a little bit of a psychological warrior. And uh, so I'm coming as a game theorist. I still believe that there's probably good sense to coasting the first few weeks. Just don't expose yourself to a high risk maneuver that might get you eliminated when you damn well know that if you just cook solid food with a low risk proposition, you're going to be fine. But I also believe it does pay, particularly with respect to the judges. Uh, All right. So Tyler, Tyler definitely had the personality and the skills, but you have the next two picks, Kevin. You're on the clock. This is really hard. <laughs> I, I've got four, and I'm not going to tell which four. I've got four players for two spots. I'm very, actually very so curious to see once I name four. my two if you're going to take the other two. So you have four in this tier. I do. I have four. I, I knew you'd go with Tyler with the first pick. And so I, now I have two and three. And I have four that I'm really, really having a tough time with. Um. The first I'm going to choose with I'll do David Stern here with the second pick in the Top <laughs> Chef season 15 draft. Kevin Onovitz selects to David Fu from Oakland, California. Wow! Wow! The quick fire winner. So much controversy here with the two. I. I I, I think that's a great pick. He's in my, in my second tier as well. Um, so uh, here, here's what, my here's my thinking, Tom. I think I the this. chefs that actually go ballsy, not in the sense that they try something high degree of difficulty, but go with a dish that might be perceived as insubstantial and can turn it into a winner. In other words, you go with, oh, I'm going to do a salad. He does a corn salad. Everybody else is working with proteins in that quick fire challenge. He has the balls to basically say, yes. I, I'm going to go with a secondary dish. And not only am I going to survive, but it is I'm going to execute it to such an extent that it is going to beat 14 protein-centered dishes. Like, I mean, that's amazing. And I know he kind of, with immunity, he kind of fucked up the, the elimination challenge and, and didn't come strong there. But I think this motherfucker has some serious game. And that, and I knew at the minute he went with that corn salad, I was like, if this works, I'm drafting him with my first pick. Um, so Nailed it. Uh, and and uh, we, we did not see any fish sauce. I, I'm still enchanted with the idea that he is the, the heir to a fish sauce empire. <laughs> my favorite biographical tidbit. But I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm believing it. All right. And let me ask you this, though. What did you think about two helping out Bruce? And I don't want to reveal too much about who your next pick is. I don't know who it is. But I thought it was fascinating that yes. he helped Bruce Finish his dish with liquid nitrogen, which is a highly, te- I, I believe, a highly technical uh, exercise. Yes. And he picked, I think, is one of the strongest competitors, or at least we know is the, one of the most famous competitors in this. He decided to drop his stuff because he finished early and went to go help Bruce. Your thoughts? All right. So we're going to get into this now, the Bruce Kalman situation. Um, I think um, I actually believe that. Who who was it he even said? Uh, Claudette said it. I think he's a fucksack. I mean, yep. I tr- can you imagine enlisting for the first elimination challenge competitors? It was very funny because as I'm watching it, I thought it was a situation where you know how sometimes in the very late game or restaurant wars they'll have like not sous chefs, but they'll have yes. like assistants, like the, the yep. wait staff or whatever. They come be. back and it's like, oh, they have the big hug reunion. And then oh, they no, 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 I'm not tr- talking about that. I thought there was actually staff. I thought there was actually like people who were there specifically to provide like. Oh, yeah. Yep. Support. And yep. the way Kalman is just saying, yeah, yeah, get that over there. Like, like treating him like a fuck, like just like an underling in the kitchen. Like, I do think it makes you look like a fuck sack. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the term she used. I mean, can yeah. you like? I, anyway, I, I was I was duly unimpressed. Um, I think there's some talk that two is too kind and too nice that he doesn't. You know, you need to have a little blood dripping from your mouth if you're going to win this competition. Uh, I, I don't necessarily buy that. I, I just think you have to cook your ass off. So I'm, I'm going to go with him as my second pick. You know, I got a couple text messages from people, uh, friends of mine, who were were stunned by the two move. Because you almost like if you're going to help someone, I would rather help someone who really needs it, you know, like someone who you don't really see as a peer in this competition or as a competitor. 
Um, like I, I just, if you're going to help someone finish a dish, it's not someone that I think would be a heavy favorite in this, in this competition. And, uh, that was really surprising me. The interest on that loan, if Bruce is going to have to pay him back later, I think that might be the strategy. Oh, nobody pays anybody back. I don't think you're going to pay. It's not like, you know, that one time you, you scratch my back, I'm going to scratch yours for two times longer. Like for two, maybe that's his strategy is be the nice guy, be the team player, be unselfish. And then later on, they're going to say, you know, I'm in debt to this dude. I need to pay him back. And with interest, like the thousand percent interest that I think he's thinking he's going to get with with Bruce. He's not going to get. I don't think Bruce is going to be like, you know what? That one time you helped me out. I'm going to go extra hard to make sure you're happy too. I think at some point they're just going to get really competitive and they're going to forget each each round is going to be a clean slate. I think I'm uh, for my next pick, and I still literally I'm I'm number three. I'm I, I, I'm having a tough time with the third pick in the 2018 Pack Your Knives draft. Kevin Arnovitz selects. Uh, I'm going to go with Fatima. Great pick. I'm going to go really with Fatima Ali. She, I, I, I think, you know, lost the elimination challenge by a hair. And, and, and if not for Tyler's dish, would, would be in the 43% probability range where she'd be at odds on favor. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I, I think there's just a, a right amount of risk taking. She goes with chicken instead of red meat, which everybody else did. I think there's a wonderful I, – I, I think there – you know, I really liked her vulnerability too. I mean she comes out during one of the interviews and says – I mean she, it's really important to her that Padma, fellow yes. South Asian – respects her cooking uh, i i think I, I thought the deconstructed samosa was was brilliant and i don't know i'm just i'm just feeling it i, I what i what i saw there was somebody we're going to be watching well into february i uh i had her at the top of my draft board last night i moved her down a little bit because i talked myself into tyler after re-examining the analytics here but she was in my she was in my top tier. That was an excellent pick, and I I loved the wink that she had to Padma when Padma was explaining the 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 um, Pakistani umami flavor, and she's like, you know, you get it. It was such a knowing, like, oh, it was great to watch someone who was as she called it obsessed with Padma growing up because of the BBC Food Network. Um, that was such a cool moment to see. All right. Number four. <sighs> Number four, I'm going Bruce. Going I'm going Bruce, Bruce Coleman. Really? I'm taking Bruce. Um, I thought he had an interesting chorizo. Well, he wasn't the chorizo guy in the first one, was he? No. That was that was Tyler, right? Tyler was the one who did the, the baked chorizo. Tyler decided to bake chorizo. Um, Bruce gets the call for me because, you know, the – Calicchio, when he ate his dish, he said, obviously, I hated it, which is always a great sign when the bowl is completely clean, licked clean, and you get the time like, obviously, I hated it. I thought he was a strong personality. Um, I think he's got the intimidation factor. I know that it's kind of hard to pick someone who's tight with all the judges. You had that little like uh, brown nosing session in the beginning where it was like uh, – Calicchio was like, hey, uh, full disclosure, I'm friends with Bruce. And then Gail chimes in, yep, I know him too. And so did uh, Graham. And they're all like buddies. And that like kind of scares me. But I also think he is a strong, strong, skilled chef. And I think he's perfect for the show. Hey, let me ask you. Here's a question I would ask Kalman. I mean, you're, you're, you're the executive chef and the owner of, you know, one, one of the more kind of critics favorites restaurants in Los Angeles. By all accounts, you're in your late 40s, possibly even early 50s. You've made it. I mean, these are your, your peers are actually on the, in the, on the other side of the judge's table. Why are you sleeping like five to a room in a house, you know, basically sequestering yourself for three months while you do this show in some city you don't live in? Like, what is the – I guess the question I have for Calman, and we can ask this to some of our guests who, you know, who are closer in that community, but like, what are you doing there? And it's not to say that you're slumming. I mean, clearly, I, I, look, I don't know. I don't think he's going to win the competition. Uh, and but I, I guess that would be my question. I mean, what, what is in it for Bruce Kalman to? I mean, he's already kind of. I mean, I, I think the premise of the show is young aspiring chef might have a small, you know, twenty five seat restaurant or as a sous chef to a star chef, and this is their moment to break out. Kalman's already broken out. 
And that, I mean, I don't want to sleep with four other dudes in a frigging room in a house, you know, basically. And, I, and I've worked on a reality show as a writer. Like, I, it's, you're kind of just, you're managed for three months. You're just be told when to do and where you can go and who you can talk to. And it, it's, it's kind of a miserable experience, to be perfectly honest. So that's my, that would be my question for Calvin. You know what? Um, I hear that. I don't want to sleep in the sleep apnea room. Um, but I also think maybe this is just fun. This is a totally different experience. It's a total challenge. And I guess the integrity, the, the integrity of the competition of like you're, you're, you're drafting prospects rather than all-stars, right? This is the prospects show, not the top chef all-stars. What you're objecting to is that he's taking a spot. I'm not objecting to, I'm just curious. Well, maybe it's just fun and maybe we can have him on the show and he'll explain it. That would be a great, great interview. Um, we can ask him personally. So I don't know. Um, I think he's I think he's got the star power, uh, obviously, but um, I just like his cooking style. I liked his um, I liked him. Ba- I don't know. That I, was I, I mean, like, did that not look freaking great. That dish. Oh, yeah. That he did. Oh, yeah. with um, That he did with the pork. Uh, I mean, the pork shoulder, gnocchi and chicarones. I mean, that's about yes. as perfect. I mean, I would order that dish. On, on 100%. Menu. 100%. Yeah. I mean, it does bring up the thing, though. You know, he, he did, and I, I appreciated that he said, you know, this is this is harder than they, they, they tell you it is. And it does go back to a conversation we've had, which is, it's a very specialized skill. I mean, Bruce Cowan might be nominated for a beard every year until he dies, but is turning around a dish in 45 minutes. A skill separate from, oh, I'm an all-world chef. Yeah, that it's just a different. It is it is just a different sport that that is only somewhat correlated to your overall ability as a chef. Well, Fatima made a comment right when they're in the tents. Fatima said, "What you're making gnocchi now, right today for this competition?" And Bruce gave her like this glare, and I don't know if it was the editing, but the glare was so. Oh, they, they, by the way, they take so many liberties in reality show editing. <laughs> You have no they'll you'll be rolling your eyes at something in week three and they'll like take it and splice it into a week six episode uh, off of something someone said and you weren't even standing there. We call them Frankenbites. Um, I wrote a piece for Slate back in 04. Um, I'd worked on a Showtime reality series called American Candidate, uh, where basically a bunch of normal people are kind of running for office and their challenges and people get eliminated and and I was just amazed it gave me a bird's eye view of the production of a show like this and just how it's sort of spliced together and it was it was it was absolutely revelatory and and it means that now when I watch reality shows I, I I do it with this completely cynical eye in terms of what they're piecing together or hey somebody says something at the chopping block and then they cut to somebody else standing there who goes like kind of rolls their eyes that, that is that is not what's happening yeah yeah, well, I, I still liked it. It was still fun. Yeah, it was it was a nice little because uh, because he 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 walked the walk. You know, you're making gnocchi on the fir- on the first elimination challenge, and he was scared the night before, uh, and he nailed it. So I, I'm I still think the fuck sack thing works, and I, I he seems like a great guy. I just like the absolute chutzpah to have some competitor do prep work, and you talk to them like they're a prep chef. Like it's it's kind of it's ridiculous. Who are you going with number five? I'm torn here. I'm torn here. I have two people I'm looking at. Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum sealed packaging, it's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that 
out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at ButcherBox.com Dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With the fifth pick, Tom Haberstro is taking Claudette Zepeda. Really interesting. Claudette, I feel like, has the right amount of salt. Just not not literally, but figuratively. I think she is uh, – the, the comments that she's making, I feel like she's the one who's going to say, fuck them all. I'm going to go and I'm not going to be a team player and I'm just going to focus on – my dish and nail it and fuck the rest of them. And I think, I think for her, that's a good thing. I like enough sass. I like that about her. And I just think she's, um, she's kind of your soulmate. I'm almost stealing her from you because when she says what I've only slept, not slept, but I've only, uh, shared an adult. Yeah. I, I did like, she, for she's once clearly in my an life, introvert and I purposely. like that about her. And I felt like she was like akin to to your soul, like a soulmate for I, you. And I was like, you know what? I got to steal Claudette from Kevin because I think she's going to be a you real. You know, it's funny. I, I was hoping I could snag her with a middle pick. Now, it's interesting, Tom. I want to kind of kind of uh, interrogate you here a little. With your last two choices, you've picked two contestants who finished in the top three, neither in the quick fire challenge or in the elimination challenge. This is pretty bold because I think you've someone who've sold me in the last couple of weeks as we've been prepping for this show that that early performance is very predictive of late success. And here you are picking two people who didn't place. Well, I got Tyler. Tyler is Tyler's my juggernaut, right? Um, I'm I'm okay with not going with the high with the finish in the top three. I just don't want to pick people with a one of my early picks. I don't want to pick someone who got in the low. And so that's where I'm going with with Bruce and Claudette. Um, and I think Tyler is obviously the analytical favorite. Bruce and Claudette, I just I just think they have the right uh, personality for the show. I think they have the right skills. Um, and I just love Claudette's attitude. I want her on my team. Right. Uh, with the sixth pick in the season 15 Top Shift draft, I select Joe Flam, non-mustache Joe. Mm. That snapper in 45 minutes. Come on. <laughs> Amy, look, to a certain extent, I'm still, you know, I still watch this show as a fan. I mean, yes, I'm a scout now. I'm a, I'm a GM and I'm picking a team. But, but to watch that kind of technique and prep in, in 45 minutes, and that was gorgeous. I, I like, and I, you know, it's funny because I was looking at the bio. He has a real pedigree, right? Like, like high in Chicago Italian restaurant. He can do a lot of different things. There's clearly versatility there. Um, he uh, he's got some serious game. Finishes in the top three in the in the quick fire challenge. Yep. Uh, I, I'm I'm kind of about it. I, I think he's just look this way. He's not a guy who I see finishing on the bottom three very often. He just looks like he plays error free ball. You know what I mean? There's just there's there's not mm-hmm. going to be a lot of fucking up there. He's going to be really good sound decisions. He is a fundamental. He is the Tim Duncan of this competition. <laughs> he is Mr. Fundamental. You can see it. I, I just I don't worry. I I I don't worry that that guy he, by the way, you know, just enough risk. There's just there's nothing in there that says to me he's going to get eliminated in the first 8 weeks. Just nothing. Like that, that guy to me is if you ask me to pick one player who's guaranteed to make it into the final six i think i might even go with flam it's interesting you bring this up the whole quick fire placing in the quick fire i looked this up quick fire winners i would have thought like 
you know, you, you come into the game right off the bat, you nail the quick fire, you win the quick fire. I know Flam didn't win the quick fire. Um, but if you win the quick fire, that's gotta have some staying power, right? But actually, if you look at the history of Top Chef, there have been six times where there's been a solo uh, quick fire first time, uh, first eliminate or first quick fire challenge, where there's been a solo immunity winner. A lot of times they have two winners and three winners or four winners, and some of them get immunity and not. But of the six, here are the overall finishes for those six quick fire winners on the first episode. Leanne from season one finished fourth overall. Sam finished third overall in season two. Micah finished 13th. Stefan finished third. Robin finished sixth. John finished ninth. It's kind of all over the map. Not yeah. a single winner overall won the first quick fire um, solo. Yeah. No, no, so yeah. it's not it's not totally predictive. I'm not well, saying Shirley, Shirley was a big quick fire winner, wasn't she? I believe so. She, she yeah. had a lot of quick fire wins. Yeah. But in terms of the first one, the very first quick fire challenge, there hasn't been a winner, I don't believe. Um, who solo won the quick fire challenge? The first one got the immunity and then won the overall. So I don't know if they, I, I don't know if there's any predictive value there, but they, it's certainly if you're going to choose between winning the first elimination challenge or winning the first quick fire challenge, there is no question you want to pick the guy or the girl who wins the first elimination challenge. Yeah, I, I just again for me, it's just this is a competent chef who's not going to make a lot of errors. It just does not make unforced errors. Has worked under the bright lights, big time pedigree, clearly versatile in his in his uh, <clears throat> in his repertoire. And with the seventh pick, yep, I'm going to go with Mr. Amish Amish Soul Food. Yes, Chris Scott. Uh, I, I'm you know me. I, I love the anthropology part of food. I, I love that there are still places in this country with very regional cooking. One of the kind of big fears is that we're all there are no places left in the United States like we're all eating the same stuff we're all we're all buying the same stuff there's no particularity to food anymore and I love that I'm getting a little Pennsylvania Dutch country cooking by the way like and this is what I need to delve into um I mean you know as strange as this might sound he doesn't look Amish (laughs) <laughs> I'm very, like I'm very I'm kind of fascinated with this guy who grew up in Mechanicsburg or wherever he grew up in central Pennsylvania or Pennsylvania Dutch country, which actually I think is further east. Oh, my God. That um, was such a great Pennsylvania Dutch chow chow. And Tom's like, what is Pennsylvania Dutch chow chow? <laughs> but I think even once you got um, I think once you got past just the novelty of it, it looks like he was making really good food like dumplings with rab and mushrooms. Uh, by the way, I am with Tom Kalicki on this. Wild mushrooms to me are Wild the mushrooms. greatest ingredient ever. Uh, I've never understood the, the antifungal constituency that doesn't like mushrooms. Mushrooms are amazing. And uh, so I'm I'm kind of I, – I like Chris. And actually, he was one of my – he was one of my choices. I, when, you, when I said the next four, uh, I, I didn't know – you know, I didn't know how to place them. I got all four. I got all four. It was two Fatima, Joe, and Chris. And those are my so I, I'm I'm very happy with this draft right now. I'm getting I'm getting my players. All right. Well, then on my uh, number eight, I'm going with Mustache Joe, the 19th century bare knuckled boxer. Mustache Joe is going to be my eighth pick. Um, he he looks he looks like a really capable chef. He's got the pedigree. He's worked for three Michelin star uh, chefs. Um, By the way, we're going to have to do a little analytics on the Michigan Michelin star thing. For so, sure. You know, Michelin star is a very interesting thing. I mean, first of all, here in Los Angeles, it has a very low uh, Q rating. Um, there's always been the sense, if you talk to people in the culinary community, that the Michelin group has always been obviously – New York has always been their U.S. focal point. And then after New York, kind of San Francisco and Chicago. And it seemed like for many years there was a willful, almost intentional snubbing of Los Angeles as an unserious mm-hmm. food city, which I think in the late 70s Los Angeles was an unserious food city that didn't have uh, the pedigree of San Francisco and Chicago. And obviously New York is in a category of its own. And, you know, it's funny because I've checked out some Michelin – places along my travels and very especially in Europe and in the US and they do tend to reward what you and I might call stodgier cooking like it is there is sort of a school of thought particularly here in Los Angeles where it's like you know fuck the Michelin people just fuck them like they wouldn't know a good California meal if it 
you know, was dropped on their head. And, and there is a little bit, but I'd be curious to see if, if we can at some point make sense of how important has pedigree been? Has the upstart who started his or her own thing outperformed or underperformed, uh, you know, the person who trained with Jean Georges, you know, like, like, like that, that, that would be an interesting question is how important is that training? Cause we, you and I talk about it, like it's a good, yeah, I, I can't imagine it's, it's unhelpful, but is yeah. it, is it decisive? Is it like being on the McDonald's all America team? Exactly. Yeah. I, uh, I loved his first dish. I was sold. Yeah. I mean the, the pasta, uh, pulling off the pasta dish, uh, you could see it from the, the rest of the uh, judges, they were just aghast at the fact that he was able to produce not just a pasta dish, but pull it off with that tasty. And it was beautiful. Um, I love a good charred tomato. I, I'm like, when I get a pasta I or a pizza, I'm just a big red sauce guy. I'm a big, I want to make sure that that tomato just pops. It's always been my conflict with, you know, when we go to Connecticut with the white clam pizza, which I love so much, is I do miss the absence. The absence of red sauce is something I miss. The margarita or the marinara pizza, yeah. just so Tom, you can't go wrong. I'm going to be in Phoenix this weekend, and I am going to go back to Pizzeria Bianco. I'm uh, I'm jealous. I'm really de- jealous. And this would be the f- you know, there's no Top Chef contestant from Phoenix, so you're kind of um, I love that you're zagging here. Yeah, no, I'm 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 very uh, I'm very excited, and uh, I'm running a half marathon. So the question is, do I do it the day before or do I do it Carbo the day load. after? And, um, yeah, cause typically when I go to, uh, Bianco, I like to go like at three in the, I hate waiting in general. Like I just, I, I freaking hate lines. I mean, lines are my, yeah. So, but I, I think this is, might be the, the, the post race reward. So, uh, but I'm, I'm very excited because it is one of those places that there, the hype, I think it stands up to the hype. Mm. It really does. And, um, you know, I, I love my Sunny Boy. To your point, just the very simple salami and olives pizza. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That's kind of what I love about these guys. They, you know, they do. They have six pizzas on the menu. That's it. You know, one of them, to your point, is a margarita. The other one's a marinara, uh, which is kind of the the, the cheese free one. And then that's it. Like they got four other pizzas that are various combinations of cured meats and cheese. And, you know, an arugula or an olive or something. And uh, they do what they do very well. I have a real soft spot for the restaurant that has like five things on the menu and that's what they do. With the ninth pick, I'm going to go with Rogelio Garcia. All right. So you're sticking you're sticking with him. Yeah. So um, with that, he didn't have any standout dishes. I was kind of disappointed in his performance in episode one. I had him higher on my board going in. Um the the initial the first dish at the quick fire the um, the stew it like the chorizo stew you know it was okay um, the soup wasn't the most appetizing dish I'm not going to dock him too many points that's why I'm taking him here at nine yeah but then he goes uh, with the croquette I'm not a fan of the croquette the croquette from a technical standpoint you know Tom had some skepticism throwing some shade you're going to do a croquette tomorrow um, are you going to be able to I pull just that not off I'm a fan of the croquette in general. Yeah, you know what? I hear you on that. You know, in Miami, it was it was a very popular dish in Miami, the croqueta, and it was you know, I feel like it might be a little too much fried. It's just a uh, fried thing, and invariably, yeah. the thing that it's supposed that is inside will be muted by its overall friedness. Like I and I love fried food. I mean, I'm you know, I just I'm not a fan of the croquette. I I, I rarely rarely do you order a croquette and say, wow, that exceeded my expectations. Yeah, well, I'm going to go with him anyway. I like his story, um, and I feel like if I get an extra boost, if he wins a quick fire or a elimination challenge, I'm going to get double points. So that that kind of bumped him up over a couple people that are on the same tier. Who's your number ten? My number ten is Tanya Holland of Oakland, California. The brown uh, is the Brown Sugar Cafe, mm-hmm. and I think she's going to find herself. I, I, I really do. I mean, she comes out with those. Those really delicious chicken wings, which I bet were really, really good. Oh, yeah. Uh, I am a little concerned. I, I, I think Tom is very unforgiving of under-seasoned meat. And if you're mm-hmm. under-seasoning a jerk dish, like, you got issues. And mm-hmm. But I just feel like I know her work. I like her. I think I, I think she, she – there's, there's always a couple of chefs who kind of grow – between weeks like two and seven, and I think she's going to be one of those. I think she's sound enough. She's not going to find herself, you know, on the bottom very often. 
and I, I, I think there's some, I think there's some, up, I think there's some upside there. Uh, I, I really do. And, and then I'm going to follow it. What are we at now? Number eleven. Number eleven. Brother Luck. Mm, yes, the hometown hero. Brother Luck, who doesn't want to be called the hotel chef. Well, and I, I like that he's. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about that. I, isn't it true? We always like when you find out a, a when you find out a restaurant is in a hotel, you sort of discount it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it is so true. Like, you, what's wrong with it? Why? Why couldn't this person kind of do their own brick and mortar thing and just like why? Why are they cooking inside a hotel? Yeah, why do they need that handicap of just getting guaranteed patrons? Yeah. Um, but come on, pork canitas, avocado, currants, and papitas. Mm. I mean, that is again a dish I that that is has my name on it. I, I would order that dish off a menu any time, and the fact that that's a, just a smart sensibility. So I, I also I think he gets the big stuff right. He clearly can cook protein well. You know, add some flair. I love the lambs over the purple potatoes. Um, interesting thing, uh, Tom, interesting uh, piece about purple potatoes. So we get, I see them a lot out here at the farmer's market. And, you know, you're always looking for some color on your plate. And it turns out – so when I started buying them, I noticed that by the time you boil them, they just turn gray. So I learned that if you take a bottle cap of white vinegar and drop it in the water that you're boiling the purple potatoes in, they maintain their purpleness. This is a very good – this is a very good uh, tip. Is this a pack-your-knives hack? This is a pack your knives hack. I mean, if you want to maintain the color of your purple potatoes or your Peruvian purple potatoes, whatever you're using, a little white vinegar to the water will maintain the color, which is great because there's not enough good purple and blue food in the world. And so you want a little color on the plate. Love that. So I think think Brother Luck is actually my my covert sleeper pick. I think Brother Mm -hmm. Luck can go far in this competition. I'm going to call it right now. He just – he gets the big stuff right. He has some flair. I love his profiles. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I felt like I could save him, but I actually, he's, truth is, he's further up on my draft board. Well, I wondered, uh, did we talk about this on the first episode, the pilot, about the hometown chef? How do you yeah, feel about it? Yeah, the hometown chef never really prospers, does he? I mean, that was the one thing that was holding me, hold me back, is just the pressure of uh, performing in your home city. That was it. Otherwise, I thought he had a great, great profile. Um, 12th pick. I'm going with Adrian. All right. I think I know she was in the bottom three, but uh, I know she had a little too much, um, a little too much sweetness in her tostone. But I actually think that that is a dish I would love to eat. Um, and from a technical standpoint, I think I have no concerns about Adrian. And I, I think this is. The the year of the black reality TV show. I mean, we have Rachel from uh, The Bachelor was the first Bachelorette, uh, the first black Bachelorette. And we talked about it with uh, with Adrian. You know, there's never been a black woman who won Top Chef. And I'm not going to say she's going to win the whole thing. Obviously, if I did, I'd be picking her a little bit higher. But I like the value play here. Yeah, I, I think I think she's totally capable. And I, I, she's gonna, she's much better than her first place, or her first week finish. Yes, yes. So I think that's you know I I don't like picking from the bottom three on the on the first elimination challenge again. Not a single overall Top Chef winner has ever finished in the bottom three on the first elimination challenge. Take that for what it is. But um, I'm gonna go against the grain here and take one of those in the bottom three with the thirteenth pick. This might be a little controversial, but I'm going to take Kwame. Oh, man. I was hoping he would last one more. <laughs> I was hoping he would last. I was hoping you'd just go with one of the uh, – I mean it's a major probability challenge though, isn't it, Tom? It is. It is. And when I was discussing this uh, with Allison before, she said, you're going to combine the contestants from Last Chance Kitchen to the overall? Why would you pick one over uh, someone from the actual competition? And I said – I think Kwame's got it. I think he's on the comeback trail after his restaurant shut down in in D.C. I loved him when he was on the show. Um, I think he is one of the most – the youngest top chef just – I think he's ready. Um, I think it's a hard pick. You know, you're picking him over Laura. You're picking him over Carrie. You're picking him over uh, Melissa who we all know what happened on the first episode. I just love Kwame. I think he's got the full package. And yes, it is kind of risky to go with the last chance kitchen, but I think he's that good. Yeah, I was hoping he'd last one more spot. So with the, what are we now at? 
We're at 14. All right. With the 14th pick, I'm going to go with Laura Cole of Denali yeah. Park, Alaska. Yep. Yep. Don't have a huge amount of confidence here, but I do think she's, you know, she brought this up in one of the, uh, one of the cutaways. She's resourceful, right? Like you don't cook in the middle of the wilderness without being, and a lot of, you know, a lot of the top chef challenges are oh, go forage in a well for like things and then make a meal out of it. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of that in this, in this, in this competition. It's just making lemonade out of lemons, you know, being deprived of, of things you would find in a first rate kitchen and being able to have to basically on the fly do things. And I I do think that will serve her well. Uh, I I don't have a a huge amount of confidence. Otherwise I I was frankly uninspired by grilled eggplant. I know the texture was supposedly good, but like, Oh, I mean, I like it. Yeah. Come on. Who doesn't like I, I, I have it in my notes. Meh, meh. Like, why would I ever order that dish over what else was on there? And, and, I, and I like eggplant. But uh, so that, that's my pick. And then I'm going to go with Leanne Wong, also yeah. from the uh, last chance pool of returnees. I like that pick. You know, she's the OG. Season one, uh, last chance kitchen. She survived. To recap a little bit, Jen, Jen Carroll would make it. Uh, felt bad, but she had to go home. Tom wasn't a big fan of her uh, fennel unseasoned. And if you are going to screw one thing up with Tom Colicchio, you better not screw up the seasoning. So Leanne is your pick for number 15. Is that right? Uh, I believe so. So we have you get the last two competitors, I believe. Uh, I think there are three left on the board. Oh, there's Marcel, Carrie and Melissa are still on the board. Wait, I thought Melissa was eliminated. But she got she goes to last chance kitchen. Oh, oh, Kevin. oh of course, of course, of course, of course. Okay. So um I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Carrie here. Uh it's a tiebreaker of is she in the double elimination or is she, she a single elimination? And Marcel's in single elimination. I'm gonna go with Carrie. Not a great showing in the first episode. Uh didn't seem very confident. When Tom Colicchio is saying you burnt my chip, and then someone else says it was raw. It's not a matter of incompetence. It's a matter of just, you know, variance. Like you just had a lot of inconsistency. Um, And if you burnt your chips because you just you were busy prepping something else like, okay, I get that. But when it's all over the map, not a good sign. Uh, But still, the fact that she has to be double eliminated, um, that's the tiebreaker for me. For Marcel, he's got to be single eliminated. And for I guess I have one more pick. Yeah, you know what? I'll just go carry him, Marcel. And then. That means you get Melissa. I get Melissa. Um, I'm curious to see how things materialize in Last Chance. I don't, have they posted the um, the new Last Chance yet? I don't believe so. Okay. I'm not sure. Um, I haven't watched it. I haven't seen who's on it. Poor Melissa. Yeah, it's I'm really tough. nervous. I, I honestly, that's got to be terrifying. That has you to know, be absolutely terrifying. She opens with, I've had two panic attacks prepping for this show. And I was like, oh, boy, yeah. here we go. It is it, not a great sign. Um, but I don't know. It's uh, not a great thing to go from the quick fire loser to eliminated and then to the last chance kitchen when you got to go up against Kwame, Marcel, and Leanne. That's got to be tough. What, um, any other closing thoughts on the, on the episode itself? I like the group. What'd you think overall? Oh, I like the group too. I like the group too. You've got you've got a nice balance of of crusty, aspirational. You got some big names. You got some underdogs. I, I like some of the emerging narratives. Uh, is there any like raw assholery though? Who, who's 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 the villain here? Oh, you, Claudette for sure. No, no, no. Like no but I mean, I, see, I don't think she's the villain. I think she's the Greek chorus. I think she's the one, basically. <laughs> I'm talking about somebody who's going to get in somebody's face and and you know throw a tantrum in the in the back room when they're waiting for people to be called, or somebody who's going to point fingers. I don't think Claudette's any of that. I think she is a good truth teller. I think she is, you know, she will call bullshit, but I don't think she's going to be. You know, she's not the Marcel. She's not the. Mm. She's not. Con- I don't think she's confrontational. I guess that's what I'm asking. Yeah, you might you might be right about that. Maybe there isn't a bully on this one. I don't think there is. I think everyone's playing pretty nice so far. Maybe they'll maybe they'll show themselves their true nature. But right now, I don't feel like there's that bully on the show like it was 
for uh, for past seasons. You know, there's no Stefan here who's just going to make just get under your skin and intimidate you in ways that, you know, Draymond Green will or a KG. There, I don't think there is a KG on this. Um, it is so funny how so many of the same mistakes get made season after season. Like the minute Melissa said she was going to braise in two and a half hours, I was just like, oh, come on. <laughs> like, come on. Like when you came to my house and we had those oxtails. Yes. Like I braised those motherfuckers for like eight hours. I, you know, I turned down the oven to about 210, 220 and just left them in there all day. Mm-hmm. And I just think that, like, why, like, it's Charlie Brown in the football. Like, why on earth do you think you're going to be able to braise something sufficiently in two and a half hours? It just drives me crazy. And it, yep. but that, that's just the thing. And, like, we've been learning this for 15 years, right? It's just, just like, there are certain conventions that reveal themselves over time just to be really bad ideas, like trying to braise in a limited amount of time. Here, can we talk some game theory? Yeah. Game theory here. The first quick fire was a potluck dinner where you had to vote for your favorite dish and your least favorite dish. Now, let's say you were on that table, right? And you're competing. Would you sandbag sandbag it? Like, I think there's a little bit of game theory there. If you know someone is going to be really good, do you want to give that person a vote? Or do you like if you're if you're strongest, if there's a Spurs or the Warriors at that table, do you give them essentially a vote for immunity? No. And here. So here's this is the conflict here. And it's actually a really good Rorschach test. Right. Which is like I'm a fairness person and the system only works if people conform to its uh, to its parameters. Right. Like and the idea is like we're letting you judge, but you have to be honest about it. But this is the this is the perfect prisoner's dilemma. No, no, I know. This is is nihilism to do anything else. Like, I understand it's a competition, but like, that's just nihilism. I mean, you're going to pick the the shittiest dish as the best dish so that you can like jump in. Like you can get bump in line like I just there's a there's a moral code here and there's a there's a compact. When they pass out those cards, there is a social and competitive compact, which is you're going to play the game straight. And if you start juking the stats, sorry. I'm just saying if there's a tiebreaker, if you like three dishes, but one of them, you don't want to give the juggernaut an extra boost by giving them immunity. Do you write that name in as your favorite dish? I'm saying I give it to the person. If I'm if I'm going to be trying to win this competition, I think there's a little bit of gamesmanship here. I'm not saying I take my favorite dish or the person I think is going to win the competition, the favorite, and I'm going to give I'm going to straight up lie and put them in the bottom Obviously, that's going to be a red flag. Like no one's going to like that guy where it's like a beautiful dish comes out. And you're like, yeah, I just didn't think uh, the flavors work together. It's made up bullshit reason. Like I, that's not what I'm advocating for. I'm just saying, isn't there a thought to just increase your margins just a little bit by not giving the favorite the, the, the extra boost by voting for them? If, if it is, in fact, an honest answer. Oh, sure. I mean, there's definitely game theory to it. This is where I just... I'm I'm an orderly person, you know. I'm an INTJ, Tom. I just you, you have to stay true to the system. You've got to stay true to the system, and so that's it. Uh, I'm very excited for the second episode. Yeah, um, I don't know if there's any analytics here that I can save above the uh, the the winner of the first elimination challenge. So that would be Tyler, is not going to be the odds on odds on favor to win the second one. Um, let's recap the scoring system for those, uh, who might be wanting to do this at home or want to do this following along with us. Um, you get three points if your contestant wins, uh, sorry, finishes in the top three of the quick fire and you get a bonus of two points if that person wins the quick fire, you get minus three points if they finish in the bottom of the quick fire. Uh, and minus additional two points if they get kicked off. If they get kicked off, if it's a you know a sudden death quick fire elimination, rarely happens. Then in the final elimination, you get five points if you finish in the top three. You get minus five points if you finish in the bottom three. And if you win the elimination challenge, you get an additional two points. Was it? What did we find finalize that at? Yeah, I think that was what we wanted to do to kind of balance. Yeah, not give you too much of an advantage if you win the the um, the overall first elimination challenge or the overall elimination challenge. But if you get kicked off and you go to last chance kitchen, you go to minus five, an additional. Um, so sorry, 
minus five in the bottom and then an additional minus two if you actually get kicked off the show. So I'm going to we're not keeping score from the first episode. We will keep score going forward. We will post the teams, Team Kevin, Team Tom. We will post that on the leverageofthechat.com website. Oh, we have we can, such a thing. We do. Oh, and we will be having, you know, some analytics on there. Um, some, If you have any other commentary, any commentary from the first episode or any of the commentary from the podcast and you just want to leave it on the site, um, any any comments or anything like that, any stats, anything you really liked about the show, didn't like. We'll have like a little running blog. Uh, it's not going to be updated every day, but we'll have we'll have the teams up, up on the site and you can follow along. And I'm really excited about this. I think you had a good draft. I'm, I'm looking at your board and I'm really. Yeah, I think I had a good draft, too. Yeah, I, I like my draft. I don't love it, but I, feel, I felt like you felt really confident about your picks. You, you've got you've got some heavyweights there, though. Uh, this should be interesting. Yeah. I'm glad I got Tyler. Tom, it was a pleasure. Very much looking forward to next week. Absolutely. And good luck on your run. I, I will. This is Pack Your Knives. Pack Your Knives.